I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In 2008, a team of coders decided they would declare financial independence from a struggling central bank system in the midst of a recession. They put their computing knowledge to the test, and soon, Bitcoin was born. The cryptocurrency movement quickly evolved from its humble beginnings and transformed into a mainstream global phenomenon. Today, Bitcoin is still the most valuable, selling for around $60,000 a pop at last check. That's up from just a few cents a coin back when it launched. Even though cryptocurrency is catching on in the mainstream, the world surrounding it is still confusing to millions of consumers. We've got a lot to learn about how cryptocurrency operates and whether it can be sustained in the long term. For more on this, I'm joined by Jean Volpicelli. He is a journalist at Wired UK and author of Cryptocurrency, How Digital Money Could Transform Finance. We'll talk about cryptocurrency's popularity around the world and where it's going from here. That's all coming up next. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downing. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now, free, for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. John Volpicelli, welcome to Business Wars. Thank you, David, for having me. How are you doing? I am fine. Uh, very interesting writing that you've done uh, on this subject. Cryptocurrency, I think, is safe to say, can be rather cryptic to the average listener. In layman's terms, how does this stuff work? Well, I mean, the idea was to create a sort of digital cash system, right? So blending the digital elements or systems like Visa, for instance, so the quickness and the mm-hmm. uh, online element of those kind of networks with the immediacy of cash, which meant in this case, essentially, to remove all middlemen, all intermediaries. Every single company, like a bank or a payment company like Visa itself, and replace it with a decentralized network of computers, none of which was in charge of validating this transaction, but all of them, in a way, collectively did it. 
the reason for doing that was, first of all, to remove middlemen, just because middlemen were supposed to be rent-seeking, rent-extracting uh, parasites, in a way. So they would extract banking fees or uh, whatever kind of transfer fees payment companies exact. Uh, but also, um, the, the, the idea was that every middleman can be corrupt or can be threatened and, in a way, can be convinced or browbeaten into uh, blocking certain transactions. And th that's something that the people behind Bitcoin didn't want to happen. They want something that was, in a way, unstoppable, a form of payment that no one could stop. It wasn't just the intermediaries, though. I mean, one of the big differences between Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and, say, fiat currency that a government uh, issues is that you don't have any government issuing this currency. And that's something that was very, that decentralization was very appealing from, from the start. They want to get rid of government sponsors, central banks, and replacing them with a very uh, mathematical base, they say, backed by maths system in which you had right. a very exact monetary policy in a way. You had a certain fixed number of monetary units of coins, in this case, of Bitcoins. You only, you only have 21 million Bitcoins ever, which are minted at a regular pace. And that's it. Uh, there's no discretionality there. We've seen an explosion of cryptocurrency over the past decade. And I'm wondering how much of that is people who heard about it and wanted to get rich quick versus, say, some other force. Why do you think cryptocurrency's popularity exploded? In a way, at some point, Bitcoin starting to be regarded as a form of uh, investment as an asset as opposed to a currency, an asset whose value was priced was determined by the uh, the meeting of supply and demand online in a totally unregulated fashion, and so it was continuous roller coaster, and the price could really skyrocket overnight, and of course crash very often. But uh, a lot of people, of course, got in just because it seemed to be a new uh, get rich quick, as you said, asset class. Well, now, Jean, do you think that that's why we've seen these um, skyrocketing prices? As, you know, you look at Bitcoin and it's upwards of $60,000 per Bitcoin, right? What's been driving that valuation? Paradoxically, I think the last year's um, rise in Bitcoin's price, which is really short to unprecedented levels, has been uh, driven much more by actual regulation or at least uh, the, uh, the, the arrival of more institutional actors. Hmm. So yeah, it seems to be that the big, the big, the big shots are coming in. Uh -huh. So it actually seems to be driven much more by uh, Bitcoin gaining some kind of credibility among the more traditional crowd, or at least the moneyed crowd. Uh, so in a way, that's actually a kind of reversal. It's not driven by amateurs anymore. It's driven by the big. Guys. And this sort of feeds into itself, doesn't it? I mean, as you see the valuation of Bitcoin rise, that sort of fuels this idea of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as a sort of asset class unto itself. And that in and of itself, as you're describing, sort of pushes the price point ever higher. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a virtuous or vicious cycle, uh, depending on what your point of view. Uh, and as I said, it's very fickle, right? So I think that every single rumor, any single piece of news, uh, the Bitcoin crowd, the cryptorati, uh, tend to call it uh, also food, fear, uncertainty and doubt, uh, can, any of those things can drive the price very, uh, very high up or very lower down. It really depends on the spur of the moment. 
Yeah. That's an interesting acronym, FOOD, uh, Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. Well, today you have competing cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin and Shiba Inu that are tied to these more obscure internet inside jokes. What, what's the significance of these meme coins as they're sometimes referred to? At some point in 2020, I don't know why, but uh, there are several competing theories about why happened just during the pandemic when people were at home and bored. Mm-hmm. Whatever the reason, there was this bizarre rise of meme coins Every day there was a new coin, a new kind of cryptocurrency uh, whose properties very often were just that they were fun. They were associated with stuff like, as you said, like Dogecoin. Dogecoin is actually a bit older than that, but Shiba Inu is a sort of new dog coin, if you wish. Mm -hmm. But there were also also coins uh, named after vegetables or food. There was a spaghetti coin at some point, a yam coin. The weirdness (laughs) just permeated the whole sphere. And... Every day, there would be a new coin launched, and its popularity would really depend on how fun the joke was. Yeah, and it was interesting to see when Elon Musk began tweeting about Dogecoin. What's his role in all of this? I mean, Elon Musk, I suppose, is like the poster, poster person, the poster boy of how volatile the whole sphere is, right? Mm-hmm. Every time Elon Musk mentions one specific cryptocurrency, the price of that cryptocurrency just shoots up. Every time, of course, he speaks out against a certain cryptocurrency. He did it with Bitcoin, for instance. The value crashes. Uh, Of course, uh, there have been some studies into the actual long-term effect of Musk's Musk's, uh, pronouncements about crypto. Uh, The effect is not that um, that marked, really. Uh, Elon Musk has a kind of meme lord streak about him, right? <laughs> uh, so right. He, he really enjoys it. And, but I also think it's a kind of experiment in terms of what he can really accomplish just by shooting the crap. At the same time, this sort of underscores what's happening, that sort of interconnectivity between uh, cyber currencies or cryptocurrencies, as we've been calling them, and internet culture. Why do you think that there is this relationship between internet culture and cryptocurrency and finance? There are several trends all taking place at once here. For instance, look at what happened with the GameStop short squeeze. Mm -hmm. Stocks of uh, of GameStop, which was actually an ailing, struggling uh, game, uh, video game retailer, were just pumped to the moon, uh, as the cryptorati would have it, as a kind of form of joke or as a form of perverse revenge on hedge funds just through social media, right? So people using the Robinhood app would convene on Reddit and decide, well, let's just pump GameStop. Yeah. There seems to be the gamification of finance, which has been driven partly, uh, possibly by cryptocurrency itself, by the way, it is. it, it does look a bit like a, a strange casino, partly by the, I'd say, the user interface of some apps, like Robinhood itself, or other similar apps that usually, I don't know, will uh, reward your investment choices with um, confetti, animations and some kind of uh, funny sounds. Uh, And again, also, there is right now a a very explicit nexus between um, investment slash cryptocurrency and gaming, like real video games. There are video games where you can earn uh, cryptocurrency units. So it's a big mash. I'm not sure what's going on there. But internet culture, video games, online finance, cryptocurrency, memes, Elon Musk tweets are all becoming part of a big continuum uh, where 
at the end, at, at the bottom of it all, I suppose, there is a kind of uh, nihilist panache. Uh, there is this idea that was, in a way, um, the foundation of some of the early cryptocurrency movements, which said, actually, if you look at it, money is just a construct. Mm-hmm. All that mm-hmm. is behind money's value is people's beliefs, is people's uh, wish to own or wish to dump the specific currency. So if a lot of us online, on Reddit, on Robinhood, on Discord, on Twitter decide to pump this coin or this stock, right. we are going to create value out of thin air. It's a bit nihilistic. It's very fun. It's very interesting. You've used a couple of words here that I'm just going to have to put in my dictionary <laughs> because you, you you talk about this sort of nihilistic uh, uh, chic or uh, panache, I think was the word that you used, yeah. which, which says a lot right there. But then you add to that NFTs, these non-fungible tokens that, w- that are entering the scene and based on, uh, based on uh, would you say Bitcoin style technology, right? So if you think about Bitcoin or other early cryptocurrencies as money, or in some cases as stocks, you can think of NFTs as possibly art in a way, because they are unique. Uh, And so this property, this way of creating these tokens that are non-fungible, because there's only one of uh, each kind, uh, has led uh, the people in the cryptosphere to uh, wrap a lot of narrative around these tokens. Treating them as stand-ins for collectibles or for uh, art, digital art. Even if anyone can download that video, you only you are the owner of the, in a way, the copyright to that video. Of course, none of this is regulated. None of this is really uh, does does really make sense. This is really fascinating stuff. We're talking with Jean Volpicelli. He is a journalist at Wired UK and the author of Cryptocurrency, How Digital Money Could Transform Finance. Now, when we come back, we'll be talking about cryptocurrency's impact on a global scale. Stay with us. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business. It's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to Business Wars. Our guest is Jean Volpicelli. He is a journalist at Wired UK, and he's reported extensively on cryptocurrency around the world. Jean, we've got a pretty limited view of cryptocurrency here in the U.S. How popular is crypto in the rest of the world? Well, actually, I would say that uh, right now uh, the U.S. is becoming one of the main, the main like hubs for cryptocurrency, following a pretty recent Chinese crackdown on cryptocurrency activities within China. But yeah, you're right. There are other 
countries where cryptocurrency is used actually as a, a, a currency in a way. I'd say mostly in the developing world, in places like Vietnam or Nigeria, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin, but also other cryptocurrencies are often used uh, for peer-to-peer trading, but also for remittances, transfer, even in Cuba, strange enough. Uh, cryptocurrency is really, in a way, living up to its initial promise of acting as a, as a currency, as a, as a kind of money. El Salvador adopted uh, Bitcoin as its uh, legal tender. So now uh-huh, right. uh, there are two currencies in El Salvador. One is the US dollar and one is Bitcoin. Uh, so essentially they are on the same footing. Do you ever see us getting to a place where people are using crypto like uh, on everyday purchases, you know, gas, groceries, that kind of thing? I, I think it's much more likely that we would use some kind of um, different kind of crypto, not something like Bitcoin or Ether, but more like something something that could be issued by uh, Facebook, for instance, like uh, Facebook Libra or something like that, or something similar to that, if not Facebook itself. So some form of digital currency or even cryptocurrency, if you wish, Possibly. Uh, I'm not sure we will get to a place where we use Bitcoin the way we use pounds or dollars or euros. Does that come to a question of trust? Or why do you think that is, that people would not embrace it as a kind of a a standard for transactions? The way you have to look at it is, I I mean, we don't, I don't want to be patronizing, right? But El Salvador, what does El Salvador have to lose? It is a it, it, it is an economy which is not necessarily the pinnacle of stability or uh, prosperity. It is already a dollarized economy, so it doesn't have its own currency. It was already depending on someone else's monetary policy, in a way. So it makes sense for some countries in the developing world, in the global south, to embrace cryptocurrency. Uh, because in some cases, it's not as bad as their own currency or the mm. currencies they're using, which are possibly foreign currencies, such as the dollar, uh, for their own ends, I mean. Uh, but in some Western countries, it, it's a bit different, right? It's, yeah. I mean, why, why would British people start using uh, Bitcoin instead of the pound? There's no real reason. There's no wild fluctuation in the pound's value as opposed to what might happen in Panama or in El Salvador. I take your point. And, you know, there is one place that is not embracing crypto in a big way, and that's China. As you uh, well know, I've taken some pretty draconian measures uh, trying to limit the influence of cryptocurrency behind its borders. Why the crackdown there in China? Let's sort of outline the situation here. What's happened is that China used to be home to uh, 70% at some point of Bitcoin mining. The mining is the process through which uh, the Bitcoin uh, infrastructure, the decentralized ledger and the ping in Bitcoin is maintained and also through which new Bitcoins are created. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the problem with uh, mining, of course, is that it's very energy consuming. It's, it requires a lot of electricity because you need to essentially amass uh, um, uh, a lot of expensive computers in a warehouse and keep them constantly running in order to carry out this mining process. Um, So that might be one of the reasons why China was a bit against it. China seems to be quite serious about its environmental goals. But of course, there is a wider point there, which is, I mean, Bitcoin was created to be anonymous, an anonymous source of value, uh, which was beyond the purview of governments. And that's not something China would like. 
Uh, and on top of that, you have to remember that China uh, is currently piloting uh, its own uh, central bank digital currency, the digital mm-hmm. yuan, right? Mm-hmm. So what right. the digital yuan is, is a kind of electronic money that is backed directly by China's uh, central bank as opposed by commercial banks or payment mm-hmm. companies. It, it, it is expected to become a means of total control of China economic life by the government. Well, now, you also mentioned earlier that one of China's concerns was environmental. And we've heard a lot of conversation around how cryptocurrencies um, take a pretty hefty amount of computing power to to get those new coins, and that is contributing to climate change in a big way, which raises the further question, how sustainable do you see this virtual currency? Well, right now, at least Bitcoin and many of the other cryptocurrencies using the similar a similar uh, mining process uh, is certainly not sustainable, right? It's not... It's not sustainable in terms of emission and in terms of energy consumption. Uh, in terms of emission, we know that only, I think, 34% of the energy backing, going into Bitcoin mining comes from renewable resources. The kind of energy consumption we're talking about here is it's truly massive. I think the Cambridge University calculated uh, that uh, every year Bitcoin mining uh, consume as much energy as the whole of Philippines. Yeah, I read that report. It was staggering. Yeah, right. uh, and so if you ca- if you calculate that, a majority of that is also producing carbon emissions. That's not good, right? But there has been certainly a movement to make Bitcoin slightly greener. I think that a lot of the uh, Bitcoin miners based in the US are pretty uh, aware of the of the kind of original scene of Bitcoin. And they want to use more and more renewable energy, so hydro mm-hmm. energy or solar energy. And there is certainly a kind of uh, public backlash against Bitcoin mining that seems to be driving it even further. So if you think about Elon Musk himself, uh, he announced at some point earlier this year that he would accept uh, Bitcoin payments for Teslas. And then he recounted that on the grounds that he didn't want he, who is a champion of solving climate change, he didn't want to contribute to climate change uh, by endorsing Bitcoin, okay. which he regarded as a threat to climate. Well. But also what he's doing now, he's working with associations of North American Bitcoin miners to make Bitcoin more sustainable. There is still a massive problem in terms of sheer energy consumption, because consuming energy is going to, in a way, distort the market to make right. energy, even if, if it's renewable, uh, more expensive. But it does seem to be, to be, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems to be almost an existential threat to crypto. I mean, if, if this cannot get more sustainable, is there the, the possibility that crypto might eventually phase out? Uh, crypto itself, uh, as a whole, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll tell you why. But I, I think it's mostly a, a Bitcoin problem. So Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency, the most popular, the most valuable. Mm-hmm. And it's also a very rigid, very ideologically rigid um, coin in a way, cryptocurrency and community behind it. So no one wants to really renounce mining, which is regarded as a, as a very secure way of maintaining uh the blockchain and making sure that it's not cannot be changed, cannot be attacked by a hacker. Uh, 
But a lot of other cryptocurrencies, including Ethereum, are now looking at are using different systems that do not require this expenditure, this consumption of mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Systems called, for instance, proof of stake, which is much more based on using deposits. Essentially, uh, you 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 essentially just uh, stake a certain amount of uh, of the currency. And if you try to hack the blockchain or you try to act dishonestly, mm -hmm. you lose your own, your collateral. Of course, uh, Bitcoin extremists, Bitcoin maximalists will tell you that proof of stake is not as secure as mining. Jean, this reminds me, you can almost take this full circle because when our conversation began, we were talking about these big dreams, big ideas, all ideologically based, challenging the financial system, taking some power away from the intermediaries, the big banks, you know, during a global recession. And now you have entities like Bitcoin valued at over a trillion dollars and other forms of cryptocurrency also pretty costly to buy into. Given all of this, as you stand back as a reporter who's covered this, uh, do you think the original mission was accomplished or is it still a, a, a work in progress? I, don't, I, I think it is being accomplished in a piecemeal fashion, right? So certainly whoever designed the original Bitcoin white paper in 2008, whoever hid behind the pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. Bitcoin, they might be um, nodding along with El Salvador in terms of how Bitcoin managed to become a mm. kind of currency. In other ways, I would say that the, the rise of Bitcoin as a form of investment owned by, even by institutional actors now, I wouldn't call it a perversion, but certainly is not was not the main mission of Bitcoin. It was, it's a kind of diversion, at least. Even if it might be a diversion that over time turns out to be good, just because, as we said, uh, speculation was considered good uh, as a way to make new currencies, cryptocurrency, private currencies, uh, become more valuable and gain acceptance among the wider public. I'd say it's still, it's still work in progress, really. Uh, but some parts of the grand project, the grand scheme, uh, have been implemented, even if imperfectly. Jean Volpicelli is a journalist at Wired UK and the author of The Wired Guide, Cryptocurrency, How Digital Money Could Transform Finance. You can check out his latest writing at wired.co.uk and over on wired.com. Jean, thanks so much. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you, David. Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. From Wondery, this is Episode 7 of Crypto Wars for Business Wars. I'm your host, David Brown. Kelly Kyle produced this episode. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Dave Schilling is our producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 